Romans 8.15 reminds us that when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the potential exists for us to no longer be enslaved by fear. L listen to this. This is such a powerful verse of Scripture. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, think about the miracle that takes place. When you come into a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. You're given this promise of eternity. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But then through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have the potential. And I say it's the potential to redirect our thoughts to the promises of God. And when we do that, instead of being beholden by fear and all the craziness that this world dishes out to us, we rise up above our fears. We look at the promises of God. And when we look at the promises of God, our soul is buoyed. And now we're seeing things from a different perspective. Abounding in Faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. If you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. Our speaker today is Senior Pastor Joe Suazo. One of the things that we've been looking at in the book of Genesis is the word blessing. Now, we've been sharing this along the way, but God blessed man. That's you, all of us here today. He's blessed us that we may be a blessing, a channel of his goodness to others. Giving is one way. Serving, coming out to the backpack ministry or any of the ministries is another way. Praying is another way. There are all these ways we can participate in being a blessing. But I love uh, John's challenge, which is going to really, uh, really tie in with the message today, is all of us can be paralyzed by fear or even slothfulness. And when we do that, instead of being a channel of God's blessing, uh, we begin to, to direct our focus on ourselves. And it's an interesting thing. When we begin to focus on ourselves more and more, you know what happens? Joy diminishes. Because I don't know about you, I don't really like myself that much. I know that goes against all the pop psychology and stuff like that. I like what I see when I, when I look at what God's doing. But when I look at myself apart from Christ, not good. And so the more self-consumed we become, instead of God-consumed, joy diminishes, peace diminishes, fear and anxiety increase. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning is just how Abram, who's the founder of the, the Jewish nation, right there in Genesis chapter 12, was called by God to be a blessing. And he was, and we're still experiencing the fruit of it today. But just like all men, he struggled. He struggled at different times in his life. And uh, that's what we're going to look at today. We're not that different than Abram, right? 
we all struggle with taking that step of faith. So stand with me for the reading of God's word. And if you have your Bibles open, we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 20. In the Pew Bible, if you're interested, it's pages 8 and 9. Uh, Genesis 12, verses 10 through 20, and that's going to be verse 10 through 20 on page 8 in the Pew Bible. Now there was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarah, his wife, I know that you're a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is my wife. Then they'll kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he, that's Pharaoh, dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarah, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh gave orders to his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. Father, we just ask as we meditate on this word this morning, you'd be speaking to our hearts. Lord, we need the ministry of your Holy Spirit to change, to become the people that God, you, want us to be. And so we just ask for your presence and your blessing upon this word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, you know, when Franklin D. Roosevelt, 32nd President of the United States, took office, he encountered probably one of the most perilous times this nation really faced. Uh, he became president during the Great Depression and the rising threat of war in Europe and Asia. Now, he used to give these uh, weekly, what were called fireside chats where he would take time to assure the nation of its destiny and its vision. Uh, perhaps one of the most memorable quotes, and I know you're going to know it as soon as I say it, came during his first inaugural dress, address in 1933 at the worst of the nation's depression. He said this, the only thing to fear is... See that? You know it. The only thing is to fear is the fear itself. 1930s, it was a horrible time in our country. Think about this, unemployment, 30%. Drought and famine beat down on the wheat baskets of the Midwest, creating dust bowls, bankruptcies amongst farmers. 
A rising Adolf Hitler was seeking to redefine the world, and you had the empire of Japan uh, beginning to take over Asia. And yet when Roosevelt surveyed all of this, these great obstacles that threatened America's future, he didn't place the economy, the impending war, the droughts of the Midwest, or any of those things first, or those things to fret about, the number one thing that he listed was fear. Fear. Listen to the way Webster's defines fear. A distressing emotion aroused by impending danger. Whether, listen to what the, the Webster defines as, whether the threat is real or imagined. The feeling or condition of being afraid. Fear is that emotion has just so tremendous power to either paralyze us from walking forward or goad us to walking away. We've all been there. Fear, or what can be, is the basis of what-if thoughts and those worst-case scenarios that our hearts constantly go to. Really, fear is the basis of worry. And what winds up happening is because we're beholden by fear, we become worrisome and anxious people. The opposite of fear is faith. Fear attaches itself to what we see with our eyes while faith attaches itself to what God has promised. Fear is born when we're preoccupied by circumstances. Faith attaches itself to the promise of God that tells us we can overcome whatever circumstance that we're facing. Romans 8.15 reminds us that when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, the potential exists for us to no longer be enslaved by fear. L listen to this. This is such a powerful verse of scripture. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, think about the miracle that takes place. When you come into a relationship with God through the person of Jesus Christ, you're forgiven, you're given this promise of eternity, whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. But then through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we have the potential, and I say it's the potential, to redirect our thoughts to the promises of God and when we do that, instead of being beholden by fear and all the craziness that this world dishes out to us, we rise up above our fears. We look at the promises of God. And when we look at the promises of God, our soul is buoyed. And now we're seeing things from a different perspective. It's a wonderful transformation. And how often do you have to go through this exercise of redirecting your thoughts to the things of God? I know some of you smart people know the answer to that. Not only every day, moment by moment. Moment by moment. I know I do. When we come into a relationship with God, we have the potential 
to be transformed from a fearful, worrisome, anxious person that fixes his eyes on God, her eyes on God. He will keep in perfect peace he whose eyes are stayed on him because he trusts in him. We're going to look at three things in our text. Fear, how fear can just completely strangle us in some ways. The challenge that comes from fear is to God's vision. As our dear brother John Lee was sharing before, every one of us here has been given a gift to be a blessing, a channel, a conduit of, of God into other people's lives in some way. There's no, you've heard me say this, there's no nobodies in the kingdom of heaven. When you come to Christ, you have a whole new identity. Your identity is no longer race. Your identity is no longer what you do in the world in terms of your accomplishments and successes. Your identity is no longer all these things that we tend to get preoccupied. What am I? I'll tell you what you are. You're a child of God. And when you understand that, that you're going to rise above the challenges. But Abram, like us, slipped. That's what we're going to look at. And the vision that God gave him was challenged deeply. We're going to also see how he abandoned the vision God gave him. And finally, we're going to see God's faithfulness. And he does that, doesn't he? He draws us back in. I love that song. His goodness is running after me. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. So let's look at this. The challenge to God's vision. We come to verse 10. We talked about this last week. A famine comes in the land. We, we saw last week how severe it was. Uh, we saw how the Hebrew word for severe could also be too heavy to carry, too hard to pen penetrate. This was something beyond Abraham's control. He was obedient to God left Mesopotamia or, the, or Ur, travels this insane distance by foot with his uh, family, Sarah, his nephew Lot. They arrive in the promised land. He worships, he gives thanks. He's doing everything God wants him to do. And what happens when he gets there? Severe famine. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't sign up for this, Lord. And remember, we looked at the vision that God gave Abraham. It was a vision to step out in faith, sacrifice and surrender, a vision where he would be used by God to be a blessing and to foster a great nation, which becomes Israel. Israel is what brought forth the word of God to us. Israel is the nation that brought us the Messiah, Jesus, that brought salvation to all men. So God has his intention for Abram. And he faces his first obstacle, a famine which is completely out of his control. Is that not the way it goes, isn't it? God's testings. A circumstance he had nothing to do with. And in the midst of that circumstance, Abram would have to choose whether he would trust God or not. Now, there's 
two responses that we've been talking about, fear or faith. What was his response here? Well, obviously, verse 10 tells us he goes down to Egypt to sojourn there. Now, we don't see Abram calling on the Lord in the midst of this trial. We see him going down to Egypt. What was in Egypt? Food, abundance, comfort, safety. What was in the promised land? Famine, but a promise of God. Remember, faith is fear's counterpart. While fear leads us away from God, faith will help us to persevere in him. I tried to skim the, the headlines every day of the news. Um, I don't like to do deep dives. It's just too darn discouraging, honestly. Doesn't matter whether it's CNN, ABC, MSNBC, Fox News. You take your choice. One thing I recognize when I look at the headlines and I look at a few of the articles, I'm amazed on how so many of these headlines are crafted to create fear in our lives. I have to say, if you're parking yourself an hour in front of the news and five minutes in the Bible and you find yourself anxious and worrisome, <laughs> what, what more needs to be said? Just this past week, I'm looking at the headlines. Could the housing market be in jeopardy? Oh, no. Well, it could be. It's always in jeopardy. Uh, study shows taking certain vitamins lead to health problems. I better run to my cabin and see what ones I'm taking. Another one was possible new strain of virus in the fall. Oh, no, not more masks. China may attack, and it goes on and on and on. And by the time I'm reading the news and I'm parking myself there, I'm like, ah. The only way to look at the world around us and not allow fear and worry to consume us is through the promises of God. That he's sovereign and in control. And I often say, if I was a congressman, obviously I would have the responsibility to do something about some of these problems. But I'm not. I'm a saint that can pray and not be beholden by it. You know, it's an illusion, and we all suffer with this, to think that we're in control of things, isn't it? For Abraham, when he was confronted by this challenge of famine, we see him abandon God's vision. That brings us to the second truth. He abandoned it. Now, there are just two simple things for Abraham they need to hold on to for the vision God gave him. One is to stay in the land where God had told him to go and then to stay with his wife, Sarah, so that he could foster this great nation in which God told him he would do. But we see him abandon both. The first, he forfeited the place of God's choosing. He goes down to Egypt. I, you know, I, none of us have ever experienced a famine. 
probably the closest thing to famine in this country was the, the Great Depression. It doesn't mean we're not going to face something greatly challenging in the future. But during my hippie years, some of you know this, I was traveling in India before I was a believer, first time, 1980. I arrived in the city of Calcutta. Now, some of us remember this who are older, but 1969, Bangladesh, which is a country neighboring India, faced one of the most severe famines this world has ever seen. Millions perished. But also, interestingly, millions went from Bangladesh into the city of Calcutta, which had a capacity of three million, but it doubled to six. When I arrived in Calcutta, it was up to eight million people. And I remember when I got out of the train station, I went to this district where there were inexpensive hotels where the hippies and travelers used to go. I'm not even exaggerating. To get there, I had to step over bodies. They were living, they were sleeping. It was in the middle of the night, like that. Quarter mile, packed the streets. Hungry people. I was thinking, wow. Never experienced this in the United States. So when we talk about famine here, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it. Other nations have faced it. Closest thing in fa to famines that we experience are downsizing, economic downturns, financial struggle, and unemployment. Those are the things that cause great fear in our hearts, isn't it? But famine, that's, that's a whole nother level. Now, I believe that Abram left the place of God's choosing to stay in Canaan at that particular time would have been a great measure of faith. But remember, think about this. This is the same God who through Moses would send manna from heaven to feed over three million people in the nation. This is the same God who fed 5,000 with two fish and a few loaves. God was able, but Abram doubted and banned the place of God's choosing. Secondly, we see forbid the, the wife of God's choosing. Look at verses 11 through 13. As Abram entered Egypt, he said to his wife, and I mean every husband has to say, whoa, what's going on here? He says to his wife, Sarah, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is my wife, then they will kill me, but will let you live. So you say, you're my sister, that I may treat you well for your sake. I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. That's a level of fear, right? When you're willing to pawn off your beautiful wife. Look at how one bad choice led to another bad choice. He forfeited the place of God's choosing, and now he's forfeiting the person of God's choosing. Why? He's afraid. He's fearful. He's wondering, how am I going to be provided for? I like the way one person defined faith, a uh, fear rather. Fear, false evidence appearing real. Oh, there it is. 
Remember God's vision to Abram. Go to the land, I'll show you. I'll make you into a great nation. I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In other words, Abram, I will protect you. But again, Abram faltered. You know, we're all tempted to choose financial security over God. Every one of us. I remember after serving in India for a number of years, I came back and I didn't know how to support my family, didn't know what God wanted to do with my life. I tried to go in business. And every time I was looking at trying to go in business, I did even a, a master's degree with this big thesis in business. So I wanted to go into business, I wall, 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 wall. Every time I turn, I hit a wall. I couldn't get through it. How are you going to provide for me, Lord? <laughs> and it was like I'm yelling at him. I'm on the Appalachian Trail yelling at God, what in the world do you want me to do? And it was like God said to me, I want you to do what I called you to do, preach the word of God. <laughs> now I'm trying to run away from it. Look at what Abraham does. Look at verses 14 through 17. Abraham goes to Egypt. The Egypt saw that she was very beautiful. I mean, she must have been a knockout because at this point she's like 60, 65 years old. Holy cow. What's that? Easy, Joe. I don't know. I just, I have to park myself there a little bit. Come on, guys. I mean, Pharaoh's officials see her, praise her to Pharaoh. She's taken into the palace and then treats Abram well for her sake. And look at the verse. Abram acquires sheep, cattle. He's like, in the ancient world, this is like gold. Sheep, cattle, male, female, donkeys, men servants, maid servants, camels. I mean, I don't think I could do much with that here. But back then, that was a big deal. I mean, imagine how Abram felt here. He was now financially secure. But what did he have to give up to get it? God's vision. And the wife of God's choosing. I picture Abram in a tent with all these servants and all this newfound wealth in Egypt, lonely, missing Sarah, holding his head in his hands, weeping, asking himself, Lord, what have I done? Luke chapter 9. What does it profit of a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Nothing, right? Dear brother just got a tattoo. God, heartbeat, heartbeat, flat line, God. I like it. I like it a lot. We're born from the Lord. Heartbeat, heartbeat, heartbeat. Every one of us will leave this earth one day and go back to God to face judgment. Very powerful. It's an opportunity to reflect on our lives. Say, what if I gain the whole world? What if I have a comfortable, secure, easy life? But to get there, I had to give up what God wanted me to do with it.
How does that work? It doesn't. In the eternal scheme of things, it doesn't. And things progressively got worse for Abram as he walked away from God. He left the place of God's choosing. He left the wife of God's choosing. Now he was alone with great wealth, but apart from the Lord. But you know what? This is the good news. Look at verses 17 through 20. God intervenes and restores Abram. I don't know about you, but I was encouraged reading this text this, this week. How many times have I stumbled, fumbled, and fell? But God is there to pick us up and redirect our steps. You know, because Abram had this covenant relationship with God, God was not going to give up Abram to his own foolish choices. He intervenes and rescues. Verses 17-20 tells us that God afflicted disease on Pharaoh's household and ultimately brought Abram and Sarah back to God's vision. I mean, this is good news for us. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're fumbling and groping and you don't know where you're going. Lord, what do you want me to do? Maybe you have no direction in your life. Maybe you're saying, if I'm financially secure then my life is good. That is a lie. I know a lot of financially secure people that are miserable, worrisome, anxious, and do not have peace in their lives. What you need is to put the Lord first. And all these things will be added on to you. That's what the Lord taught us. All of us are capable of running away from God instead of running towards him. That's our nature. But scripture tells us that God doesn't let his children run away. His goodness is running after us, isn't it? He may give us up to our own devices for a season that we may learn wisdom. He may allow a famine or an unbelievably difficult struggle in our lives, but he'll never let us go. Isn't that good news? Our Calvinist friends, I call them my friends because I'm not a Calvinist. There's this beautiful doctrine which I appreciate. It's called the perseverance of the saints. For those of you who are like our theology buffs, TULIP, you know, it's all these things, acronym for these different theological postures of Calvinism. But one of them, the P, I like. Perseverance of the saints. The idea here is twofold. One's once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that cannot be undone. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. You have a destination of heaven itself. You cannot sabotage that. That's God's doing. He is going to allow you to persevere. That's called eternal security. But there's a second part of this, that even in this life, when we're going our own way, apart from God, as believers in Christ, He's going to be pursuing us. And there's only going to be two outcomes for the believer. Either you're going to return back to him, like Abram did, or you're going to keep on going your own way, grieving the Holy Spirit, losing that precious reward that God has promised at the beam of judgment seat of Christ. 
and forfeit the opportunity you have in this life to be used by God to bless others. That's your choice. God did everything he had to do through his son. Can't improve on that, can you? I'm going to just finish with this before we go to the Lord's Supper today. Listen to these wonderful verses of Romans 8, 35 through 39. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's a good question, right? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, dangerous sword? No. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I love that. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life or angels or demons nor present or future or anything in all creation will separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a phenomenal promise. So I don't know where you're at today, but as we go to this table, the, the Lord's table serves several functions. Primarily, it's a reminder that our salvation has been bought with a price through the precious blood of Christ through his broken body. We practice this once a month to remind us that this is the foundation of the, the church. This is the foundation of our relationship with God, the person of Jesus Christ who died for our sins. But there's also another opportunity here. It says, whoever partakes of this bread and cup to examine themselves, whether they be in the faith. To examine themselves, whether they be in the faith. That means as, as we distribute this and we give you time, it's time for you to, to examine yourself and get right with God. Give him your worries, your fears, those things that are keeping you back from following. And his spirit will give you the power to live the life that he's called you to live. That is, that is a, great, a great thing that happens for the believer. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this table that we're about to come to this morning and we would pray in the name of Jesus that as we share in it together that you'd be speaking to our hearts for Jesus' sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the previous message. We pray that you were blessed by it. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.com dot o r g